Ah, Maria, welcome to First Up, it's Rawa Mere. It's Friday the 3rd of March, Ko Nathan Rarari Aho. Coming up, we'll ask ex-Deputy Leader Brooke Van Felden if her party is engaging in cancel culture. We're joined by a baker whose huge sourdough loaves are being snapped up before they leave the oven, all to raise funds for victims of Cyclone Gabrielle. And you're only as old as you feel, we meet a cricketer in his 40s who scores runs by the bucket load against players half his age. Yeah, before I got 1,000 runs, last year I got about 800. I'm still enjoying scoring runs, so you know, as long as I'm enjoying playing and scoring runs and competing out there, uh, and the body feels good, so I just keep my fitness going. Who knows, maybe 50? Kia ora everyone, it is a foodie Friday here at First Up. What does that mean? Well, you'll find out more as we unpeel each layer of the show. Like an onion, a beautiful sweet cooked onion. Uh, but let's begin in the USA and joining us is our correspondent in New York City, the Big Apple. See, foodie was starting that way. Bevan Hurley, morena Bevan. Morena Nathan. Now tell me about this meeting of the US Secretary of State and his Russian counterpart at the G20 Summit in New Delhi. How'd that go? What did they talk about? Yes, Anthony Blinken had a brief and unscheduled encounter with Sergei Lavrov on the sidelines of that G20 meeting in the Indian capital on Thursday. And it's the first time the two top diplomats have come face-to-face since Russia's invasion of Ukraine last February. During the less-than-10-minute exchange, Blinken urged Russia to reverse its decision to suspend cooperation in the New START nuclear arms treaty. And he pushed his counterpart to accept a US proposal for the release of US citizen Paul Whelan. A State Department official said Blinken also reaffirmed Washington's support for Ukraine's peace proposal that maintains the country's territorial integrity and disabused Lavrov of any idea that US support for Ukraine might be wavering. Now, contacts between the two have been extremely rare since the start of the war, although they did speak uh, last year on the phone to discuss the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner. We haven't yet heard the Russians comment on the meeting, but the US impression is that there was not going to be any near-term change in Russia's behaviour. The Russians had earlier this week rejected a 12-point peace plan proposed by China that President Zelensky indicated he was open to. And the meeting came hours after Russian officials accused Ukrainian saboteurs of crossing into Western Russia and attacking local villages. Ukraine called the claim a classic classic deliberate provocation and suggested it could be used as a false flag operation for Moscow to step up their cross-border attacks in the north of Ukraine. And Russia used a similar ploy just prior to its invasion just over a year ago, Nathan. Mm. Hey, now, um, uh, this is interesting here. Media hosts that are very much just uh, politics in disguise. Rupert Murdoch's deposition in a defamation suit has been released. What do we learn from this testimony? So the 91-year-old Fox Corporation chairman has admitted in court filings that Fox News hosts knowingly spread false allegations that the 2020 presidential election was stolen and said that he didn't step in to stop them because it would hurt the network's ratings and profits. Um, the remarks uh, were made public in a legal filing as part of this $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit brought by Dominion Voting Systems against Fox News. Um, in it, uh, Murdoch said that it was wrong for Fox's Tucker Carlson to have hosted the election conspiracy theorist Mike Lindell on his program following the presidential election. And when asked why he continued to allow the uh, MyPillow CEO and conspiracist to make those election fraud claims on Fox News. Murdoch said, it is not red or blue, it is green. The man's on every night and he pays us a lot of money. 
Um, this was just one of many, many bombshell uh, revelations in this um, uh, court filing that's been released gradually over the last few days. Um, we also heard that Fox News gave Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, confidential information about Joe Biden's ads and debate strategy in 2020. Um, this is before they were made uh, public. Um, we also learned last week that text messages between this, the network's top hosts admitted um, that some of these people they were getting on to discuss these uh, conspiracies were, you know, uh, bonkers, basically. And the Fox News president, Jay Wallace, described uh, a former Fox business host, Lou Dobbs, as um, basically that the North Koreans do a more nuanced show than he does. And uh, these stunning levels of misconduct exposed in recent weeks raised questions about the future of the embattled chief executive of Fox, Suzanne Scott. And it appears that the uh, Murdochs are leading a trail of blood, uh, of uh, breadcrumbs that lead back to Scott's office because of course you know Rupert can't fire himself and he's not going to fire his son uh, Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch either and this uh, lawsuit has already caused massive reputational damage for Fox and is still only in the pre-trial phase and there's no telling what could come out during a week's-long trial which is set for April Nathan. Mm, it's interesting very interesting that's what happens when it's too influenced by advertisers let's talk to can you tell us tell us why the Tennessee Republican governor Bill Lee how come He's all of a sudden making news. Yeah, he is uh, facing accusations of hypocrisy after a photo of him dressed in drag went viral days after he confirmed that he would sign legislation criminalising drag performances. So Lee announced on Monday that he plans to sign a bill passed previously by the state that prohibits drag in public and in front of children. Um, now, two days earlier, a picture of the governor dressed in um, basically a wig, a cheerleader's uniform and a pearl necklace dating back from 1977 went viral on Reddit. And the Reddit user who created the post uh, said that they had been motivated to share it given the governor's hypocrisy on the issue. Um, in a statement, uh, the governor's office said that light-hearted school traditions seen in this yearbook should not be conflated with what the bill is banning and that it was dishonest and disrespectful um, to Tennessee families, apparently. Um, now, um, this Tennessee law that would prohibit um, adult cabaret performances in, in, in front of public um, is one of just dozens uh, that have been put forward in state legislatures over the last couple of years that would seek to ban um, drag shows and basically use definitions that could broadly encompass performances by transgender people. So it's a, um, it's a massive issue that is uh, just rolling out across uh, the red states of America. Well, it's an interesting old time over there, Bevan. Thank you very much for your time, sir. There he is, Bevan Hurley, out of uh, the USA, out of New York City. Well, there is anger across Greece as rail workers strike in the wake of Tuesday's deadly train crash. The walkout follows protests in three cities, including the capital, Athens. 43 people have been confirmed dead in the crash. Rescue workers continue to make their way through the wreckage looking for victims. The BBC's Nick Beck reports. The aftermath of Greece's worst ever rail disaster. A station master in a nearby city has now been charged with manslaughter by negligence. And already the country's prime minister says tragic human error was to blame. But that has sparked anger overnight, including in the capital Athens, because for years there have been warnings the rail network was not safe. This surgeon, who came out of retirement to help the injured, says the many young lives lost were the victims of systemic failings. It's a disaster, it's a catastrophic thing. Families are crying tonight. Unfortunately, 
The majority of the wounded, of the lost people are young students. They left home happy after the long weekend to go for their studies to see or to see their relatives and never reached their case. This is one of the hospitals where survivors and the injured have been treated. It's also where some family members have been coming to give their DNA in the hope that maybe any sort of samples that are recovered from the scene today will be matched to their loved ones who are still missing. The force of the explosions were captured on camera, two fireballs ripping through the carriages. Visiting the wreckage, Greece's transport minister became emotional as he talked about the country's failing train network and later resigned. It's not known exactly how many passengers are missing, but many families now face an agonising wait. That was Nick Beck reporting. It's 13 and a half past five here at RNZ National with me, Nathan Radere. You are listening to First Up and we go to Africa now. In Ghana is Nabil Ahmed. Morena, Nabil. Morena, Nathan. How are you? I'm very good. Let's talk about the Nigerian elections. There is a winner there in, yes. the, pres- in the presidential election. Who won and, and what happens next? You know, we've been talking about the Nigerian elections for a couple of weeks now, and it was held over on Saturday. And then the ruling party's candidate, Bola Tinubu, has won the election. Uh, but it didn't go without any controversy and also accusations of vote rigging by the opposition political parties that contested. Now, we understand that voter turnout was really low. Just about 27% of the 93 million registered voters were able to cast their ballots. Can you believe that? Just 27%. And then uh, these three uh, opposition parties have called for the cancellation of the election results, and some are likely to actually go to court to challenge the results. And uh, Nathan, we know that at least two observer missions uh, including the European Union team, have raised concerns about uh, logistical uh, challenges and also some people were disenfranchised and a lot of uh, lack of transparency during the electoral process. And But now the president has been named, that's Tinubu, and uh, it will take some time before the court case is heard. And if things will change, then that would uh, be when the case is heard in, uh, in in the court. But until then, Tinubu would act, I mean, would be serving as president when he's finally sworn in. And then he will have to fulfill his campaign promises of tackling corruption and the economic challenges in the country, as well as the insecurity in Nigeria. Mm. Now, um, here's a story which a lot of New Zealanders can relate to at the moment over the other side of the Indian Ocean there, Madagascar, <coughs> Mozambique. 14 people killed by the cyclone uh, that hit there. How, how are those countries recovering? Uh, well, we are learning that hundreds of thousands of people in the affected regions in Madagascar and then Mozambique are now in need of humanitarian aid after being displaced by the cyclone. You know, victims are struggling to get shelters uh, because their homes have been destroyed by floods. And as you said, uh, uh, New Zealand also experienced something like that. And officials say recovery from the natural disaster could take some months. And and, and there is a call for the UN and the World Food Programme, as well as other international agencies, uh, to uh, really send in help at this point. Uh, also, too, can you tell us about what's going on on the Ivory Coast and Guinea? There, they're going to repatriate some nationals from Tunisia. What? Why is Tunisia, this? Tunisia. Um, 
Yes, um, the two West African countries have decided to do this uh, following the Tunisian president's uh, inflammatory remarks last week, which many consider to be racist and discriminatory. Now, the president is accused of saying that migration was the plot to change Tunisia's demographic profile, and dozens of migrants uh, from sub-Saharan Africa have since been detained after he made those comments. And because of this, Ivory Coast and then Guinea say they'll be sending uh, specially chartered planes to bring back their nationals. But the Tunisian president has said that he's not a racist, and even though after his comments, uh, some migrants have lost their jobs and their housing, Nathan. Finally, let's finish here uh, the story out of Ghana, which I find really interesting. Two survivors of a massacre in the USA more than 100 years ago have been granted Ghanaian Mm. citizenship. Tell us about that. Yes, this is a very exciting one because the two survivors of the U.S. massacre, that's Viola Fletcher, who is now 108 years old, and then her brother, Hughes Van Ellis, who is 102 years old, have gotten their wish of getting a Ghanaian citizenship uh, come true. Now, uh, the uh, two of the three living survivors of the massacre in the U.S. that claimed up to 300 african-american lives now viola and her brother van visited ghana in august 2021 uh, for a week-long tour and they fell in love with the country now that particular tour was to mark the centenary of the massacre uh, but they came to i mean uh, uh, have a tour here in ghana in uh, i mean i mean to in memory of what happened over 100 years ago and uh, the guy Ghanaian governments have granted their wish by giving them the citizenship and it's part of an effort to urge uh, African uh, people of African descent in the diaspora to actually come back to Africa and settle. So these old people getting Ghanaian citizenship is a very welcoming news and people are very happy about it. Wonderful there he is from Ghana. Nabil Ahmed, gosh, yes, uh, Viola Fletcher, 108 and Hugh, 102. My goodness me, that is the news out of Africa. It is, uh, we'll call it 19 past five. Nathan Arity here at First Up on RNZ National. We go around the uh, the country soon. Uh, Glenn Forsyth joins us to explain the impact of Cyclone Gabrielle and what it's having on the fruit and veggie mar- markets. And we meet a New Zealander making bread to make some bread. It's the first Friday of autumn and a big treat for you, the Minister of Fruit and Veg Live, Glenn Forsyth in studio. Kia ora, how are you? Good, thank you, Nathan. How are you, sir? Good. This is like, um, the studio at the moment is almost like a, a dive back to my childhood. You've brought in some um, some some fruit here. The, those grapes taste exactly like the old grapevine there in Hastings and yes. also Black Doris plums. Yes. yeah. I grew up with the Black Doris plum tree just out my window. Yep. So here, here we are again. So all these beautiful samples of fruit vegetables from our ever generous growers so over the next three months the season of autumn we will talk about all these amazing products the growers and markets and their stories first of all tomatoes one of the most popular skews in store Mm. now all of these tomato lines are from tng fresh formerly turners and growers grown by status and their trusted brand beakist now, these, um, these are the range of cherry tomatoes, all very similar and super tasty. The Sunburst, Jelly Bean, and my personal favourite, the Angel. 
but we want to introduce their sandwich tomato today. It may look like an oval Roma on the outside. I was going to say, I, I thought they were Romas when they first showed up, but they're, just, they're slightly bigger, aren't they? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And inside it has a dark, intense red colour and a solid, meaty centre. However, its best feature, 40% more slices and less water than standard tomatoes, meaning no more soggy sandwiches, burgers or wraps. Mm. So yeah, check out beakers.co.nz and under recipes you'll find their perfect tomato sandwich recipe in there. Remember to keep tomatoes in cool, shaded, dry areas in the kitchen, not the fridge, or they lose their flavour. And please try some of these, Nate, your whole team and families, and all these fruit and vegetables, as we will bounce off you guys and share your experiences well, with our lovely listeners. the of science, I think I will, because I normally make myself a toasted sandwich after the programme, <laughs> and this is, this might be perfect. Give it a go. This is a sandwich tomato. Yes. All right, I'll, I'll put that over there. <laughs> Carry on. Okay, so uh, vegetables. Now, we've got some gorgeous vegetables too from Wilcox, Mercer Mushrooms, Jivin Produce, Kim Young and Sons and Primor, just to name a few. However, walking the Auckland markets yesterday morning, the best supplies were, f- were found on moonlight potatoes, carrots, cucumbers, white button mushrooms, onions and spring onions. Mm. Now, in moderate supply, it sounds like a weather report now, not a visual report, but yes, okay, supplies on cabbage, celery, courgettes, broccoli, which is slowly improving for a short spell next week, and Asian green leafy vegetables hanging in there, but the Upper North Island, they're relying on live-in and Appleby Fresh and Nelson for most of their stock of Asian vegetables. Right. Ron, Ron Few and Oakuni, he's begun his stunning whitewash spuds along with new season parsnip swedes, Brussels sprouts and garlic from the mm. South Island. And fairly short are beans and capsicums and terribly short are kumara, adult spinach and lettuce. Now our potato pick for the weekend would be the gourmet pearlers and a 10 kilo bag of white flesh all purpose brushed moonlight. Sorry if it sounds like I'm really into into fruit it's actually into your report here Glenn. Sorry it's, I mean you, you smell gorgeous by the way, you're you. coming here, but it's just uh, I'm just having a nashi. Awesome, oh, awesome. On I've needed a nashi for ages. I should get get more of them nashis. Awesome, aren't they? So fruit, great. fruit was spectacular yesterday, as it should be in late summer, early autumn, and there are no fewer than 18 goodies here for you. Also, not to mention, I was being a little piggy myself at the markets. USA have brought us in very tasty navel oranges, blood oranges, grapefruit, and mandarins. Great tasty Aussie grapes are here, along with more the more favoured Kent mango from Peru, mm. Central Otago golden peaches, and honey nectarines. They're your better buy. And be quick on the last of the apricots. Watermelon quality. Now that's hit and miss with all this rain, but some of the rock melon and honeydew, they were nice. Now we have lost a major berry grower to damage in the Hawke's Bay. So blueberries, raspberries, strawberries and, and blackberries are pricey, as are the avocado prices are lifting as a lot of fruit got blown off the trees, reducing supplies. Now new season fruit, that includes packham and bosque pears, New Zealand limes, kiwi berries, one of your favourites. Ruby I love red kiwi berries. I know, ruby red kiwi fruit. I one. love the red <laughs> kiwi fruit one. <laughs> Yay, figs, fijos and try some of these New Zealand green grapes um, taste right. like no yep, way, taste like lollies. Just in the interest of you know information, I will try them. <laughs> taste, oh. Yep, they taste oh. like lollies. The salesman said. Oh, they do. They do. <laughs> yes. And I'm seven years old. I'm in Ikanui Road. I'm out the back there, and I'm just and I'm sneaking grapes off the vine. <laughs> so, so, so now I've been told you can buy those from Greens at Milford and New Save and New Market. They stock them now. Also, these Black Doris plums. They're yeah. from our darling Diane and Mangaweka. They are so delicious. And Diane, of course, is the lady that grows those magnificent peach rings we all like. Now they're starting very soon. And finishing on fruit of the week, Mr. Radley. Oh, sorry. Yes. Hi, hi, Glenn. What's your fruit of the week? The, the, here it is, right in front of you, sir. Yes. Nashi pear. Yes. <laughs> what I'll do, I'll put these over here. <laughs> 
Now, uh, Nashi pear, a shorter season, and the two main varieties here are the Hosui and Kosui. Superb to enjoy cold, keep them in the fridge, and eat icy cool as they are juicy and delicious. Now, they're in the same family as the Asian ya pear, but holds longer and it's bursting with flavour. So, I hope you enjoy all, all They are stuff. so flavourful. Yeah. Like, I, th- I always think there's sometimes it's, I, I feel like I'm, my mouth's having a fight with a, like a pick'em or something like that, but I always love the uh, pick'em pear, I should say, but I love the Nashi's. Glenn, thank you very much. You're sir. welcome. You're there welcome, we go. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Just gonna put these grapes just over here. Over there. And those plums. It's over there. You guys are welcome to come and scrub Brussels sprout if you want. Okay, what are we on? Oh, 3rd of March. Wow, 3rd of March already. There we go. Happy birthday to you, Julie Bowen. I think one of TV's favourite mums. Uh, she's on Modern Family. You might be, remember her from um, Happy Gilmore. Also, I didn't realise this. She's had a pacemaker since she was in her early 20s. She has bradycardia. So there we go. Julie Bowen. Happy birthday to you. 53 years old today. Also, the always happy-looking Jessica Beale. Doesn't she? Yeah, so like married to Justin Timberlake, she's beautiful and she's famous and stuff is going well for her. Good on you, Jessica Beale. Happy birthday to you. On this day in 1985, the first episode of Moonlighting. Remember this? TV themes? Moonlighting back in the glory days of TV themes? It was the breakthrough for Bruce Willis. He was a wisecracking private investigator. Sybil Shepard was part of that as well. But uh, this one appeared and people went. Oh, let's just let's see what the theme song's like. Oh yeah, yeah, it's getting there. Oh, watch this then. Oh, it's Civil Shepherd. Yeah, that's what we did. We sat down and watched that, and people loved it. On this day in 1921, it was a very important day for diabetics of the world. Toronto's Dr. Banting and Dr. Best announced the discovery of insulin. On this day in 1923, Time magazine published its first copy. And a 19-year-old did something in 1951. His name was Ike Turner and his, he had a band, the Kings of Rhythm. They recorded a song called Rocket 88, eventually reached number one on the R&B charts and is considered by many to be the first rock and roll recording. Recording, and that was on that day in 1951. Come on, El Giro, sing us out. And with us from the business team, it's Giles Beckford. Kia ora, Giles. Morality and Nathan. Just a very good theme, that one. It seems like one of those... It always felt like you're out for a fancy dinner when the moonlighting theme comes on, doesn't it? It's very smooth at any time of the day or night. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I like the way you put that. Hey, tell us about this. A big billion-dollar takeover offer bites the dust. Well, you remember earlier in the week we were talking about push-pay holdings and how its two biggest shareholders, a couple of big uh, investment funds, one from Australia, one from the States... They'd made an offer of worthwhile about $1.5 billion for the company. Now, Pushpay uh, is a company which has a, a mobile payments platform, which is used by churches in the United States, uh, people ah, yes, yes, yes. who pay donations, tithing, that sort of thing. 
It was at one stage one of the darlings of the New Zealand technology sector. Its um, luster has dulled a little bit since then, but it's been making its way. But the people generally uh, thinking that the offer made by the two big shareholders was opportunistic, it was cheap, uh, it wasn't showing much faith in what the management was trying to achieve with new businesses in the States. And a head of steam uh, grew up about it. Now, I made the comment uh, first time round that it was very unusual for some of the investment funds to stand up in public and say, we don't like this, we're going to vote no. Usually they do all the shenanigans behind closed doors uh, and with the management of companies, boards of directors and that sort of thing. But no, we remember ACC, uh, Nico Asset Management, ANZ, Fisher Funds, all stood up and said, this is not going to fly, we're going to oppose it. Now, the way this takeover was being structured, it had to reach a certain level of approval from shareholders. Well, the indications are, with proxy votes, they're the ones sent in in advance, that it's bit the dust. It ain't going to work. This is one of the few occasions I can remember in recent years where shareholders have rallied together, and not necessarily been all that closely organised, but they've got together big ones and little ones. They said, this is a bum deal. We're not going to take it. There's a meeting today which will formally tally all the votes so people may turn up uh, and cast votes as well. The, uh, all the indications are it won't reach the level of approval that's needed. And so these two big shareholders are going to have to go away, either skulk away into the shadows um, and go about other business or revise their bid and come in with a higher price. Uh, And for once, in somewhat gutless corporate New Zealand, investing New Zealand, there's been a show of strength and a show of opinion, and it's worked. Nice. Are you a fan of that? I believe that shareholders should be activists all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think if they don't like the way their company is uh, is working, I think they should stand up at annual meetings. They should be writing to them. You know, the days of just being meek and mild um, should be over. There are so many issues that companies have to confront. The problem is, of course, is that the bulk of shares are owned by big fund managers yeah, or are managed by them. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and, of course, they say they're doing it for us, you know, through our KiwiSaver accounts and that sort of thing. Hmm. Well, in that case, get on the back of your investment fund manager and say you should be taking this point of view yeah. uh, on this policy. But, you know, it was shareholdings in New Zealand have generally been with stale, pale males hmm. um, and with investment fund managers. Things are changing. Sharesies is proof of that. And um, I think people should have the relevant attitudes as well. Thank you. Big and small. Yeah. Giles Beck for there you are with some wisdom for you. And uh, more business on Morning Report this morning at 10.27. If we go to the final money market of the week, we'll whip through it quickly. Your New Zealand dollar buys. Keep up. 62.18 US cents. 92.44 Australian cents. 58.69 Euro cents. 52.18 British pence. 4.3 yuan and 85.01 Japanese yen. Well, with the Black Caps incredible win at the Basin this week, we wanted to keep those cricketing good vibes going.
with a story that first up put together just before our recent extreme weather events. 43-year-old Auckland cricketer Barrington Rowland is proving that age is no barrier, often suiting up against opponents half his age, but continuing to score runs by the bucket load. He tells our reporter Leonard Powell he's got no intentions of slowing down. If you've spent any time following Premier Cricket in Auckland over the last 15 years, there's one man who's impossible to miss. My name is Barrington Rowland. I am 43 going on 18 and I grew up from from India, um, from Bangalore. During Rowland's first class career in India playing for Karnataka, he averaged 40 from 68 games, including the highest score of 283. He played alongside legends of the game such as Rahul Dravid, Anil Kumble and Robin Utapa. Arriving in New Zealand at the ripe old age of 28, Roland, ironically, felt slightly washed up. Back in the day, it was like, once you passed 25, it was kind of almost like you're too old. So I decided to move on and like, you know, look around at other options outside India. Um, New Zealand always appealed for its peace and tranquility and watching cricket at 2.30 in the morning uh, with my grandmom. And I never ever thought I'd ever come and settle here, but suddenly the place drew me and I had a few friends in UK who told me how, how good it is here. So next thing I knew I was here. Roland first joined Suburbs New Lynn for two years, spent five years at both the University and Eden Roskill cricket clubs and has been with Papa Toy Toy for the last three. His ability of piling up the runs is up there with the best. Three years ago, he became just the third player since 1952 to clock more than 1,000 runs in a season. Roland recently scored a double century and hopes the youngsters he plays alongside can take something from his efforts. I got a, a double hundred when I just turned 40 as well, so they were both my first doubles in New Zealand. Uh, so I guess as I'm getting older, I feel like I'm getting maybe wiser and <laughs> more patient, I guess. But yeah, it's just been, I got another 164 the other day. So yeah, I'm trying to tell the boys and show the boys how to kind of construct big scores. Hopefully they pick up a, something from it and actually go on and do something as well. Roland coaches at the indoor centre in Papatoitoi, where he says you can find him seven days a week. On the day I visit, it's a club training night, and Roland is getting ready for a session with the Premier team that he plays in as well as coaches. Youth player Sahil Kumar is joining in and hopes to emulate his coach one day. He's a funny guy, good to be around. He's always joking, but I feel like as a coach, it's good to have like so much experience. You know, He played Ranji Trophy in India, high level of cricket, for a long time in New Zealand as well. So I feel like just the experience that he has is good. It's a sentiment shared by Papatoitoi Premier men's captain Damon Barty, who says Roland is one of the best players in the district. Playing with Barry is a huge inspiration. You know, he's dominating club cricket at the age of 43. And, you know, if he was a couple years younger, he would be destined for higher, higher honours the way he's playing at the moment. And it's not just on the pitch, but also as a coach, Barty says, where Roland shines. No, he's awesome. He's always pushing us to, um, you know, get past our boundaries and just always trying to make us better ourselves day by day. And the praise is not limited to his current clubmates. New Zealand spinner AJS Patel made worldwide headlines in 2021 by taking 10 wickets in an innings against India. He remembers Roland arriving at Suburbs New Lynn and making an immediate impact. I guess hearing the name Barrington Roland coming from India, yeah, I mean, I don't know really what I was expecting. I was pleasantly surprised when he arrived, and I remember he came in as a as a player coach, and you know I still remember 
first time watching him bat and thinking, wow, this guy makes batting look so simple. Patel says Roland was instrumental in his switch from pace bowling to spin. I had a lot of meaningful conversations with him around my thoughts on converting over to spin bowling and the reasons why. And he was very good at trying to challenge my thinking and making sure that that was exactly what I wanted to do. But then also when I did make the decision, he was uh, massive and giving me the support from the club as well and allowing me to continue to play Premier cricket. He holds Roland in high regard and takes inspiration from his hunger for improvement. It's quite amazing that he's able to do what he's doing at, at 43 and still play Premier cricket and, and not only playing Premier cricket but shining in the grade as well. He is immensely talented but I think one of the things that kind of you know makes him special is that he, even though he's reached that age he's still looking to grow as a player and as a person and it's quite amazing to see and I think as youngsters you can always take inspiration from that. It's great to have someone like that in the competition because other players can watch him and, and learn as well. Um, I still believe he's one of the best players of spin that I've come across and that's at most levels, you know, so it goes to show that how good a player he actually is. Barrington Rowland is getting used to hearing all the cliches and agrees with those who say his career is ageing like fine wine. I 100% agree with that. I, I've totally evolved as a player. I was quite defensive when I was playing Ranji Trophy back in India, but now I'm pretty attacking. So yeah, I think the game has evolved and I'm really proud to say that I have evolved as well. I think in learning as a coach, trying it out on myself and seeing whether I can actually change things and execute them. So that's quite exciting to see. And rest assured, he's not planning on stopping anytime soon. Yeah, so everyone asked me the question, but I like last year I got year before I got thousand runs. Last year I got about eight hundred. I'm still enjoying scoring runs, so you know, as long as I'm enjoying playing and scoring runs and competing out there, uh, and the body feels good, so um, I just keep my fitness going. I, I, who knows, maybe fifty, playing Premier cricket. Uh, let's see. We've got him set up now in the uh, RNZ office with the sofa bed. He's all set to go, a little kitchenette in there. It's Joe Porter, who we lock up on a Friday and we do not let out till all the sports is finished. How are you? Well, they're good, thank you. Yeah, it's going to be like it's going to be like the best reality show ever. We're watching that. <laughs> um, tell us about, uh, there is so much on this weekend. It's quite incredible. Where do you want to start? Do you want to talk just about the, the cricket first? Yeah, look, well, the cricket, there's a few interesting things going on there. Obviously, Australia over in India have already lost their test series 2-0 to India. But in this third test in Indoor, India, as per usual, have have produced an absolute raging turner of a pitch. And, of course, uh, Nathan Lyon, well, that was expected to, of course, suit the India spinners, and they were thought they were going to roll through Australia like they had in the first two tests. But it's actually given India a bit of a taste of their own medicine. Nathan Lyon taking eight wickets to leave Australia on the verge of winning this test inside three days. They just need 75 runs on day three. They've got the whole of the day to do that to win. Of course, 30-odd wickets have fallen in the first two days and indoors, so stranger things have happened. They could be rolled through, but it looks like Australia is set to absolutely crush India and indoor. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, maybe that's it. someone's going to get fired. No, I mean, turn it the other way, not that way. It suits Lyon. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, what, what, what about the golf? Obviously, we got to speak to John Hart yesterday morning. He was excited about the New Zealand Golf Open starting. Where are we at with that now? Yeah, so we've had the opening round down in Arrowtown and Christopher Wood, not to be confused with the Premier League footballer. This is the Australian golfer 
He's got a four-shot lead after firing a course record at 10 under par 61. So a very impressive performance from the Queenslander. Eight birdies going bogey-free. He even shot an eagle. And he had amateur players to end both of them in the group too with him. So he wasn't obviously put off by the presence of a cricketing celebrity. And uh, Steve Elker and a guy called Kit Bittle. That's an interesting name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Another golfer from Auckland. Those two are the best place New Zealand is there in a large group of players tied for second on six under par, four shots off the pace. So, yeah, Australian Christopher Wood setting a, a really uh, a really strong strong first round and everyone's going to have to catch him. Yeah, and what about those breakers, eh? Finals time. Yeah, finals time. And look, the breakers, uh, what a remarkable season they've had, really, considering all the adversity they've been through over the past couple of years to, to come out and still sort of battle a few things with COVID. They've probably been more affected by COVID this year than any of the other teams and travel mm. disruptions. Uh, with, with regards to cyclones and other things around Auckland. Um, so they've done remarkably well. Second qual- top qualifiers behind the Sydney Kings, who are favourites to win this best of five grand final series. But look, the Breakers, they played the Tasmania Jack Jumpers to get into the into the final. They you know lost that second game in Tasmania, so the pressure was on to come home, and they really pulled out a great performance last time round to secure their place in the grand final. So they're looking pretty strong. And of course, yeah, the Sydney Kings, going to be hard to beat. First game in Sydney tonight, second one in Auckland on, on Sunday. And from then on in, it pretty much gets pretty crunch time for anyone who's lost. But yeah, look, go the breakers, eh? Let's see if they can do it again. They've got a great history, and then NBL and another title would not go amiss. Yeah. Joe, thank you very much for your time, sir. Also, yes, Warriors fans, you're back on. Uh, Big season for you. It kicks off tonight in Wellington. Quarter to 2-6, Nathan Rarita here at First Up on RNZ National. Between now and the end of the programme, we find out what's on Morning Report. We have uh, Brooke Van Felden of the Axe Party uh, to have a chat with us too. And also we're finding out about a New Zealander making bread by making bread. Don't worry, we'll expand on that. It's the second time I've said it this morning. That's how good it is. The professionals of RNZ are here after 6 o'clock. It is the Morning Report team. It's Kim Hill that I get to say kia ora to this morning. How are you? Hello, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. I just heard Peter there talking about 4,000 years to find a secret door in a pyramid. I reckon Scooby-Doo and Shaggy would have found that within four minutes, wouldn't they? Tops. Harrison Ford, even quicker. Oh, yeah, even faster. You're right, yeah. See, old man Withers from the amusement park always appears. And Look, I've been told I've only got 90 seconds oh, sorry, and you're right, wasting okay, my time. Sorry, okay, great. Yes, On sorry. On the programme this morning. Swedes. Residents of those hard-hit western beaches, Murawai, Kare Kare, are at the end of their tether. When can they go home? When will the roads be fixed? Yes. We'll talk to Auckland Transport Chief Engineer about that. We'll hear from the Mayor of the Far North about their powerless situation and we'll talk to Auckland Deputy Mayor Desley Simpson about the rates people are having to pay on homes they can't live in. There's some confusion about that. We'll attempt to clarify. On my way through here, I asked Corin if he wanted me to highlight anything. He shouted rugby league. Oh, yeah, okay, right, the Warriors, yes. And, of course, we're seeking nominations for the vegetable of the day. Ooh. That is our programme. Okay. 
Thank you very much. Thank there you. We are. Okay, we'll do. Uh, what is the nomination for? We'll find that out. Potato. There you go. Well, it, uh, the the X Party has attacked uh, a book and stage show called The Savage Colonizer, calling it racist. The show, which is receiving taxpayer money via a Creative NZ, is based on the book by Ockham winning poet Tui, uh, uh, sorry, Tusiata Avia. Avia has hit back at X, saying they don't understand the piece, calling X claims uninformed and uneducated. So, what do X say about it? Well, Brooke Van Felden is with me right now, the deputy leader. Kia ora Brooke, thanks um, for being here. So, um, why, why did you find it racist? Oh, look, I mean, this is a show that is going out there, uh, putting race above everything else, um, and it is a racist show. You know, it's inciting racially motivated violence against an entire group of people, and I don't think that New Zealanders uh, who pay taxes uh, would want their money being spent on a show uh, that is inciting violence against a whole group of people. But just thinking, when you say it puts race above everything else, have you, have you read the book? Have you seen it? Look, I've I've read enough of this book to know that I don't want to read any more. There is a poem uh, within the book, uh, which the entire stage show is based upon, which essentially says that we want to track down uh, all white people uh, and and stab them. Uh, not because they've done anything wrong themselves, uh, because they're inherently wrong uh, and they deserve of violence because of their race. I mean, that is extremely uh, racially motivated uh, language. And I don't believe New Zealand taxpayers would like their funds being spent on such hateful language. Okay, because I mean, I, I have a look here. It's split into three sections: love poems, warrior poems, and god poems. And I believe the re- the one you're talking about is in the warrior poems um, section of it. Look, I understand that you know sometimes uh, material and and art forms can be challenging, but isn't this in a case asking to challenge something that's an art form? Because if it's about Captain Cook and feelings of of that, I mean, it's not like the this isn't like a manifesto like the guy from Christchurch. This is, Captain Cook's already dead. Uh, look, no, I, th- I think you're you're making a misassumption here. Uh, look, this is a book uh, that has explicitly in it uh, words that would like to to say not only should we go down and hunt down people uh, who are descendants of James Cook, but we should hunt down uh, all white people uh, and and stab them uh, with knives. And I don't think that is acceptable. You know, when you have a government uh, that says that it wants to go out there and stop hate. Uh, and then it's appointing board members who fund this kind of stuff. How can this be any different to the kind of hatred that did lead to the Christchurch shootings? It's racially uh, motivated uh, and it's inciting people to go after people, not because they've done anything wrong, but because somebody believes that they're inherently wrong because of their race. I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think New Zealand taxpayers would think it's acceptable and I don't think our money should be spent on it. Importantly, the government should be calling in the board to explain how they think it's acceptable, uh, how they don't think it's racist, and how they don't think it's hate-fueled. Okay, so um, but some people have written in and they've said, yeah, but this is cancel culture and we thought you guys were the non-cancel culture party. So how how does that weigh up? Well, look, everybody is entitled to an opinion and to have freedom of speech. Uh, There is a very clear difference, though, uh, between having freedom of speech uh, and using language that's inciting violence. Uh, There is nothing uh, in this uh, that shows 
uh, that this is just somebody's opinion. Uh, this is something that's going a little bit further. It's using racist language, using an ism, uh, putting people into a category of all white people, uh, and then saying that they're inherently bad uh, because of that characteristic, and not only then stopping, but going further, suggesting that these people should be hunted down, tracked, and stabbed with pig knives. Uh, that's incitement to racially fueled violence, and I don't think that's acceptable in our culture. Yes, we can have freedom of opinion, but not incitement to violence. Right. Hey, thank you very much. There you are explaining their point of view. That is uh, Brooke Van Velden there for, uh, from the ACT Party. We've seen sourdough take off in popularity in recent times. Now one foodie is turning her sourdough baking skills into money. Uh, and this is good. It's coming for Cyclone Relief. So uh, Fiona Hughes is a, a food stylist, and, and this is pretty cool, is selling her bread for 40 bucks a loaf. But it's not just, it's not inflation. This is all money that goes to victims of Cyclone Gabriel. Uh, Fiona is up really early baking bread. So obviously, Fiona, uh, where you are right now, I imagine it smells amazing. Yeah, and it's really dark and it's really early. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, tell, tell, us, tell us about this idea going, you know, I, I want to help, um, which is a wonderful thing. Sourdough, why do we go there? Um, I've been making sourdough, Nathan, for about six, seven years. And nature of the beast is you need to feed the starter. You know, I've developed a, a method where you need to feed the starter once a week. Um, without wasting that starter, I make a loaf. And I've been giving away loaves for, you know, that time, a couple of loaves um, a week, which is quite a few loaves. And, you know, people love bread. And there's a few people that I look after with a loaf of bread, you know, once a fortnight, once a week. And it lasts them a while. And there's lots of things you can do with it. Um, And it's just sort of been my way of sharing what I call loaf love. Mm. Um, there's, There's just something so amazing about giving someone a hot warm crusty loaf of bread wrapped in a linen tea towel um so yeah Stop i've it. just kind of ex- ex- <laughs> i've expanded on this idea yeah. um and i reached out to my followers on instagram and said hey i want to do this thing you know i'm a food stylist a lot of the producers that i work with are completely shagged with what's happened down there um you know they've lost businesses they've lost produce and it's it's a monumental thing that's happened to the New Zealand food production for the seasons ahead. So um, I reached out and said, you guys give me a donation. I will give you a loaf in return. Um, And I think that's made it easier for people to donate. Yes. Fiona, we have to be quick here because we're running out of time. But I was going to say, I see there, not regular size, up to one kilogram. Like, How big is your oven or do you cook it in a bread cave cave like that wine at Gibston Valley? Yeah, I've got a classy 1980s country oven, and I'm loath to put in a massive oven, so I just work out of my little 600 one, so I can only bake one loaf at a time. So I get up at 4.30, oh, and I've done lo- uh, eight loaves by 10, 10.30, and then I run them into town for people to pick up. Oh, that's um, incredible. That's so huge, yeah, another, though. Another loaf. oven in the garage would be handy. <laughs> where, where, how can people get a loaf then? Because we've been telling them about your wonderful sourdough, talking about how it can raise funds. People go, yeah, yeah, where do I get one? Where, where do we get them? Uh, jump on my jump on my Instagram and I post up then where I'm um, dropping it, which is Fiona.Hughes on Instagram. 
Okay. So there we go. Also, yep. to, you mentioned there that you're a food stylist. I've heard things mm-hmm. about about food style. This is the, the this is making it look pretty for yeah. magazines and photo shoots and stuff. Hey, eh? is it true? Yeah, you're going to ask me about shaving foam and, yes. and mashed potatoes. I want to know. Is no. it true that they use milk? Uh, that they use white paint instead of milk? White glue, yeah, potentially, depending on what you're using it for. Like, I try not to, but there's certain certain things that you're doing for photography where you need to get some sort of viscosity. So, yeah, we mix up PVA glue to make it look like milk so you get some stretch to it. Um, so there's little things like that, but I try not to. Um, yeah. As much as I can, um, you know, you want to really represent food and it's all gloriousness and, and making a fake representation of what it is is just not my gig. All right. Well, that's one. See, that's the integrity behind these loaves. Not just love, <laughs> not just generosity, not just skill, but integrity as well. Fiona, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, I mean, what a great way to raise money. A one kilogram loaf of bread. Yeah, I reckon I could do it. I reckon I could do it, especially if it's, it's you know, Saudos are goodie as well. Look, thank you very much uh, for your patronage uh, this week. Remember to get out there and uh, do some supporting of uh, the sourdough industry and also uh, the fruit and vegetable industry. The uh, the Nashi Pear is our fruit of the week. And uh, we thank you very much, Glenn, for coming in from the fruit and veggie markets. Kim Hill and Corinne Dan are set for morning report. That's all for First Up this week. We'll be back in your ears on Monday.